Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. It's my pleasure to open this webinar to launch a new practitioner's guide on forest tenure pathways to gender equality. This webinar is organized by the CGIAR Research Program on Policies, Institutions, and Markets, or PIM, led by IFPRI, and the recording will be available on the PIM website shortly after the live event. My name is Ann Larson. I'm a principal scientist and the team leader of Equal Opportunities, Gender, Justice, and Tenure at the Center for International Forestry Research, C4, and I co-lead PIM's research flagship on government, governance of natural resources. I am also with Ileana Monterroso, an editor of the guide that we're launching today, and I want to give a very short history about the guide before we turn over to the author, Nena Jaberi. So together with the late Esther Wangi, from 2014 to 2019, I coordinated a comparative study on collective forest tenure reforms in seven countries, Peru, Colombia, Indonesia, Nepal, Uganda, DRC, and Kenya. And we wanted to understand how reforms emerged in their historical context, how they were implemented, including from the perspective of government um, implementers at national and subnational levels, their key outcomes at the community and at the individual level. We organized multi-stakeholder multi scenario building workshops uh, using a method called participatory perspective analysis to understand tenure security and the drivers of insecurity from different perspectives. So in sum, we wanted to understand the challenges to reform in all their complexity and the ways to overcome them. One important finding that probably won't surprise anyone in this webinar is that women in collective reforms are subject to multiple sources of discrimination. Not only the discrimination against collective tenure that's common for customary communities, but also the discriminatory gender norms in their own communities on the one hand and in their households on the other. Also, we found this to be an important topic of concern at all levels. But given this multi-layered complexity, everyone from NGOs to government to grassroots women's organizations found it difficult to address in tenure reform implementation, hence the birth of this guide. So let me briefly introduce our speakers today. Nena Javeri, the guide author, has worked in the field of community-based management of natural resources for over 20 years. She received her PhD from Clark University in 1999, where her dissertation focused on common property regimes in poor, mountainous, multi-ethnic areas of Southwest China. She taught for nine years at the University of Washington and Colgate University, and more recently has worked with Tetra Tech on their USAID-supported tenure and global climate change project. Ileana Monterroso, co-editor of the guide, is an environmental scientist with the Equity, Gender, Justice, and Tenure team at C4 where she also coordinates gender and social inclusion research. Her research includes, uh, she work focuses on gender, tenure, collective rights, environmental governance, and socio-environmental conflict, predominantly in Latin America. And Ileana will moderate the Q&A part of today's webinar. Now let me introduce our two commentators who will provide their remarks after Nana's presentation. Ilva Renstrom Svensson is program officer with the tenure facility Ilva has vast experience working in civil society organizations in African countries. Her focus during the last 20 years has been on cooperation with partner organizations and program development on women's rights, customary law, legal aid, conflict resolution, as well as natural resource rights. Elizabeth Bryan is a senior scientist in the Environment and Production Technology Division at the International Food Policy Research Institute, IFPRI, where she focuses on climate change adaptation and mitigation, and water resources management. Elizabeth is also a co-lead of the gender, the 
CGIAR gender platform methods module. So before we move to the presentation, let me briefly explain the logistics. The presentation will begin shortly and last for about 20 minutes. We will then uh, go from there to our discussants who will have five minutes each. This will be followed by a Q&A session to answer the questions and comments from the online audience. We invite webinar participants to submit their questions via the question window on the right side of your screen. Please feel to do so at any time during the webinar. And when you ask your question, please let us know who and where you are, you are and what organization you re represent, if that's applicable. And please let us know which speaker you'd like to address your question, if you have it directed to one in particular. And finally, we are recording this webinar and the slides and recording will be available on the PIM website shortly after the live session. So without further ado, over to you, Nena. Hello, good evening, everyone. Good evening here in Kerala. Um, uh, I'm going here. Um, so yes, I wanted to do two things this evening. One was to share with you some of the thinking that went into preparing the guide itself. And then I wanted to run through uh, the content itself. Um, so essentially, um, the focus of the entire guide is on how to carry out forest tenure reform so that it promotes gender equality in community-based forest tenure regimes. And uh, the sort of inspiration really is to initiate or to promote a gender responsive approach, which is really trying to create very substantial transformation as opposed to something much smaller and more muted uh, on the ground. So um, inspired by the way in which um, many organizations have taken up the lead on sustainable development goals, and particularly in goal five on gender equality, there's been a lot of discussion about really how can we accelerate the pace of change? How can we create high impact interventions? And uh, with this kind of thinking in mind, uh, we wanted to focus on two different levels at which change is needed, which in totality then can kind of contribute to forest tenure reform in the interest of gender equality. So the first level is really that enabling framework and enabling structure level, which is forest tenure policy, legal reform, and then government administration. And these, um, you know, we think of in terms of a national scale, but also at a sub-national scale, and, uh, and also the relationship between then the central and the kind of local government, depending on the level of decentralization and so on. And then the second scale, which is also obviously very important, is the local community-based scale, um, in which then governance of forest tenure takes place, and in which multiple types of stakeholders are involved, not only the local communities, but also NGOs, CSOs, federations, women's movement, and so on. Um, so this is the sort of overall um, focus of the publication. And uh, as I said, there are three different chapters. So the first chapter is gender responsive accelerators for forest tenure reform. And I'll be going into the details of that. Uh, chapter two then is with gender in mind, Forest tenure policy, legal reform, and government administration. And then the third chapter, which is gender matters in community-based forest tenure. So in thinking about how to put a publication of this kind together, which is a practitioner's guide, and that it needs to be extremely user-friendly and relevant to a whole range of different users, from government staff, NGOs, CFOs, um, academics, researchers, uh, women's federations, forest federations, donor agencies, and so on. 
we had to think very carefully about how to structure the publication. So, um, in essence, we decided that um, it would be very useful to draw upon the experiences across different countries in Africa, Asia, and Latin America to illustrate then the diversity of approaches and diversity of changes that we see on the ground in terms of gender equality. So we recognize that you know, there is no simple um, notion of gender relations or gender dynamics. These are very complicated uh, phenomena on the local level. And so we wanted to kind of bring that out uh, in the publication so that um, practitioners become more and more tuned in to the local type of changes that they need to work with, because the more tailored the intervention, the more likely it will produce a positive effect. But at the same time, we also wanted to really think about the broader political economy, the history of tenure relations on land as well as on natural resources. Uh, what are the contexts in terms of policy and law, uh, women's movements and democracy movements that have played a huge role in not only forest tenure reform, but also then gender equality. So because of these very, very uh, wide-ranging conditions, we wanted to provide multiple types of guidance in the document so that whoever's reading it can really draw upon inspiration from in multiple ways rather than having some kind of linear set out um, approach. Uh, providing lots of guidance then creates um, the grounds upon which your own tailored approach can be cultivated. So we share a lot about conceptual ideas that have come out in research, uh, of course, from C4, from IFPRI, from Resource Equity, Landessa, uh, Land Coalition, and so on. We also provide um, information on operational direction, what have governments and NGOs done to initiate change and practically uh, create positive transformations. We talk about good practices, what has really worked in particular countries and contexts. Uh, we do quite a lot on case study insights because um, we believe that really it's through these kinds of detailed analyses that we get inspiration, but also that we can understand really what are the challenges that have to be confronted and what are the possible interventions that can work quite well. Um, and then we share research findings. There's a, really a, a wide a range of research going on out there, but it was important to really bring it together so that there is a kind of coherent framework through which to interpret how that's relevant for change on the ground. And then we provide further reading materials for those who want to follow up. So this is the sort of broad-based structure um, in terms of how we thought about publication. And uh, in order to kind of launch on the pathway, so to speak, to forest tenure reform, uh, chapter one, after a very brief introduction that sets out the history of the forest tenure transition and also um, you know, the ways in which recent changes uh, in terms of uh, the voluntary guidelines on the responsible governance of tenure, um, the sustainable development goals, and so on. We, we look at really what are the levers for change that can support any practitioner group on the ground to push them for new interventions uh, to create this kind of transformation. But the core of chapter one is really on this three-step pathway that we promote, the first of which is analyze. Um, how do we really get into the details of actually what's going on nationally, subnationally, and at the local level across the country and across different forest ecologies uh, in terms of forest tenure reform and gender equality? 
The second is then strategize. Once the analysis is done, there's a good understanding depending on really what the framing is that you're trying to pursue. How do you develop an effective strategy that's framed in a particular uh, time uh, period? And then thirdly, then the strategy is used to really flesh out uh, what are the particular practical steps that can be done, and importantly, by who to achieve that change. So I'll be going more into that a little bit later, but this is the kind of fundamental structure and we provide a lot of guidance on this so that interventions can lead to accelerated change um, on the ground. And in the midst of all of this information, we provide 12 different case studies, which are called, oh, I've written it wrongly. Um, it's actually her, his, forest tenure insight. Um, so these case studies are not just case studies as in, um, oh, well, now we have a new gender policy in this country, and this is what happened. Rather, these case studies um, take on particular questions. Uh, why is it that there's been very little change in a particular uh, law on community forestry, even though there is a good gender policy on the ground? And then from the case study itself, what are the lessons we can take away? So each of them are structured in this fashion. And the real emphasis of these um, insight boxes is to look at change itself. How has change taken place, for example, from uh, local communities initiating their own change, perhaps that's leading to uh, subnational or national change, and then what have been the ramifications of that? And so positive changes, but we also look at negative changes. Uh, what have been the real obstacles despite positive posts? Uh, why is it that things don't change on the ground? And what can we learn from that? The case studies are also used to highlight concepts such as on gender intersectionality, which um, you know is increasingly talked about, but it's not easy to carry out the analysis on the ground. Um, but we think it's very important to really showcase the importance of understanding the multiple axes of social discrimination. Um, and so some of the cases look at that. And then we also look at how the changing political economy or changing economic dynamics um, leading to uh, outmigration of men, for example, from rural areas is affecting then tenure governance and also gender equality. So these um, boxes are really quite um, detailed, but their aim is to kind of uh, throw up then important questions that are on the horizon uh, in terms of forest tenure reform and gender equality. So just to sort of share some of the titles um, of these insight boxes. Uh, the first one is Massive Potential, Forest Rights Act in India. Uh, what has happened in relation to gender issues in a law that actually is very attentive to gender? Uh, why then has it not really been implemented very well on the ground? And given this is something that can affect huge numbers of people in the tribal belt of India, I think it's very important to showcase this issue. Um, another is a, a, a box on global gender accelerator. The International Tropical Timber Organization recently, about two, three years ago, um, set up a new policy on gender equality and women's empowerment. So we look at that and how it's being implemented. Um, in the DRC, a new community forestry strategy was developed. And then um, NGOs have been helping to uh, improve the gender dimension through various initiatives. Uh, very importantly, um, in the context of Indonesia and the uh, new constitutional court ruling a few years ago on customary land rights, customary forest rights, 
Uh, we have a section on gender leap forward, participatory mapping and AMAN in Indonesia. What was done proactively to support then uh, women's uh, contribution to mapping. And then another one, uh, which has really been a very um, important area of forest tenure work. What does research say on women's participation? You know, Bina Agarwal sort of set that discussion into motion back in 2001. So what, where do we stand in terms of the research on this issue? So throughout the publication, um, we have a sort of very specific design look to the boxes. And as I said, there's a question for, for reflection and then a lesson at the end. So we've given a lot of emphasis to these because uh, they can be quite inspiring and they can kind of conceptually help. So I just want to quickly go through the analysis, the analyze, strategize, and realize components in the publication. Um, because really it's um, on the basis of this early groundwork that the right kind of changes can be kind of launched and um, put into action. So in terms of analyze, uh, we provide um, two types of um, support. One is really uh, how to carry out a situational gender analysis. And in this case, um, there is no simple template for such an analysis. But what we do is provide a whole set of questions that can guide an analysis at the national level, subnational level, and then at the local level. And so there's a whole set of questions there that can be used to tailor your particular situational analysis, uh, gender analysis. And then secondly, there's guidance provided on methodologies. How do you actually go out there and carry out the research at the national level, in terms of government um, activities, and also at the local level to actually obtain the data you need to carry out the analysis. And this requires really very careful thinking in order to have something that's truly reflective then of gender intersectionality, for example, on the ground and so on. So uh, this is the analyze box and uh, there's a lot of uh, work that has gone into uh, helping then carry out such a uh, sort of first step. The second then is what do you do with all this analysis? You can have your report, um, you can produce a brief to share, translate it into local languages, but how does it then really become a strategy for change? Whether it's for a five-year plan or three-year plan, uh, we provide some guidance as to really how to carry it out. Um, what kind of um, multi-stakeholder gathering would you need? What kind of experts do you need to bring on board? Uh, what kind of culture of listening is needed to produce a, a strategy which is reflective of all participants uh, interested in helping put their energies together to take this forward. And then um, also uh, we sort of emphasize the importance of thinking uh, carefully about uh, not having extremely high ambitions, rather looking carefully at the political landscape looking carefully at the resources available, whether it's financial, people resources, and so on, in developing a strategy. Um, practicality is really uh, the sort of uh, the essence of uh, producing a vision uh, that, can, that can then uh, be put into action. And then the third step is realize. So you have your strategy, and um, I don't know about everyone, but very often a strategy is prepared and then it sits on the table because either the moment hasn't arrived or the resources are not available. Um, so in essence, um, the focus of this realize section is to zoom in on how to produce a very realistic uh, 
set of actions, interventions, action plans uh, that can then bring the strategy into place uh, in reality. So um, here we give a lot of emphasis to thinking about change agents. Who are the change agents who can support uh, the implementation then of the strategy? And very careful thinking needs to go into um, exactly who, which leaders are placed in what kind of political context that can then leverage their power and influence and inspiration uh, to move things forward. And also we talk about the importance of identifying those who could be major obstacles uh, to change because that's really the norm. So how can we create a strategy in, we in which we understand um, how to bring in to the inclusive approach uh, those who may be um, likely to pose obstacles? And then of course we emphasize the importance of male champions um, and who uh, besides women's leaders who are the male leaders at the national level, sub-national level, and in local villages that can really become the guardians of this vision and uh, see it through over the long term. As far as tenure reform, as we know, is not a short-term strategy, but requires thinking about some sort of sequenced and paced approach in which some positive successes early on will then mobilize interest and take the whole energy forward um, in a clear direction. So this is the sort of first um, chapter. And then the second chapter focuses then on the enabling framework, uh, the governmental culture of management. So we have two main sections here, on forest tenure laws and policies, and then secondly on government administration. And here we're really interested in thinking about, um, I'm gonna go back, thinking about opportunities or windows of change. So for example, uh, a forest policy um, or a red policy, for example, may be up for uh, a sort of a revision, a reform, uh, a process of change. And it's moments like these that uh, can be seized to then think about really how can gender equality be brought into the structure of the law. So we provide a lot of um, guidance and illustrative interventions on how to think about uh, policy changes, uh, legal changes, regulatory changes, and uh, what are the moments uh, that are important in cultivating uh, that change. And then in the second section on government administration, we really go through a whole range of different things which form the overarching sort of system of government administration. So we look at something which in forestry we haven't looked at much, which is um, the national mechanisms for women's affairs uh, that have tried to build a gender equality agenda across sectors. Uh, we look at gender focal points and gender units. We look at women forestry professionals. Um, we look at how to change the culture of work and of um, service delivery. Um, and we look at um, how to collect gender disaggregated data and how to carry out monitoring um, on forest tenure changes over time. And we also look at um, then uh, such things as um, recording tenure rights in a gender disaggregated fashion. Uh, the FAO recently has done some wonderful work on really how to carry this out, not only for land rights, there's been a lot of work on recording land rights, individual or private sector land rights, private property land rights. But here we're talking about recording collective or communal uh, tenure rights as well. 
So um, this is the overarching framework of the second uh, chapter. And then uh, we, just to give you a sort of flavor of the way in which we've presented One illustrative intervention. Ah, 20 minutes? Yeah, thank you. Um, so illustrative interventions um, on law, what are the multiple things that can be done um, to support then uh, review of forest tenure laws? Uh, what are the types of interventions that can support staff work process and guidance changes in the interest of uh, gender equality? And then in chapter three, we really take this opportunity to look at the community-based forest tenure regimes. And here we want to open up multiple windows um, because in general, the focus when it comes to gender in community-based forest tenure regimes has been on improving participation of women in governance bodies. There's been some work on women's knowledge of forestry, uh, but by and large, there's been an overwhelming focus on really how to up the numbers, how to capacitate women and so on. But in this chapter, we not only um, give importance to that, but we want to kind of open up the thinking so that people will think carefully about the type of community-based forestry tenure regime that is at work. So we look at the types of devolution that have been part and parcel of the overall forest tenure transition. We also provide um, some guidance in terms of how to move beyond thinking about governance bodies to look at then a kind of three-step pathway, reach, benefit, and empower. So uh, reach in terms of participation, but benefit in terms of the multiple types of benefits women and men can receive individually and collectively. And then what are the ultimate effects in terms of empowerment? So this is a framework that was actually developed by um, folks at IFRI, Ruth Meinzen Dick and Johnson and um, Sophie Fight and so on. So we've utilized that to really help um, think about interventions in multiple ways and to think about sequencing so that ultimately the change in terms of well-being and better environmental management can be realized. And then we also open up the box on eight uh, women's empowerment. Um, so I'm just going to share with you very quickly some of the graphics we have. So we provide um, a sort of classification of types of devolution, weak to ownership. Um, you don't need to read the text in this. Um, and we also provide graphics on this reach, benefit, and empower uh, pathway going forward and what are the components that make it up. We zoom in on the empowerment, women's empowerment dimension. What is it that makes up women's empowerment? And so here we were inspired by the work on women's empowerment in the agricultural sector. Um, and to, but there the focus is on individual land rights. Here the focus is on community-based uh, land rights. So there's some kind of tweaking and rethinking uh, that happens. And then in chapter three, uh, we end really um, by kind of moving away from the focus on forest governance bodies by looking at all the other important elements of gender equality. So first of all, participatory mapping in demarcating uh, forest uh, tenure areas. Uh, what is the role of women in uh, agreeing to mapping, in contributing their knowledge, in being mappers themselves, in being data analysts? And the, the uh, case study we have here is from Latin America. Um, and then we have a section on forest-based enterprises um, typically, again, we sort of think about uh, women and forest tenure in terms of subsistence needs, uh, livelihoods. But here we want to kind of open up the box in terms of forest-based enterprises. How can women and men both uh, benefit in multiple ways along the value chain? 
And lastly, then, there's been a lot of work on restoration of multifunctional landscapes. And so here, um, whether it's red plus or forest landscape restoration, we want to kind of open up uh, thinking in terms of moving beyond the very local level tenure regimes we have to the mosaic of tenure regimes we find across landscapes. And so we discussed that. And so I'm going to end there. Um, and so really, this is um, all about a journey on the forest tenure pathway. There are multiple documents and guidance and materials available, but what we've tried to do is to pull it all together and to give it a kind of additional um, oomph, let's say, so that it becomes accessible and interesting and we can learn from experiences um, across the world. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Nina. Uh, before we move on the... Uh, oh to the Q&A, I would like to remind everyone to feel free to submit questions uh, via the question box on the right of your screens. Um, the Q&A question will begin right after our discussion, discussion share their remarks. Um, and now I want to invite Ilva and Elizabeth to come back on the screen uh, and share their thoughts on the guide. Thank you, Beth. I want to thank the authors of the, this practitioner's guide and organizers this event, uh, and that you have invited the tenure facility for commenting on this practitioner's guide. This will be from a practitioner's perspective. The International Land and Forest Tenure Facility, that is the full name of our organization, is an international foundation based in Stockholm. We support indigenous peoples and local communities on collective land and forest rights. And presently we support projects in 14 countries in Africa, Latin America and Asia. The gender perspective is one of the very important cross-cutting issues in our work. I think my presentation has disappeared but it might be fine anyway. You're still, it can still be seen, Ilva. There we are. So our experiences from program implementation and partners work are that women in communities are of course important factors for food security, income, generation, uh, culture, heritage, and have important knowledge on forest resources, of course. But women's decisions on the use of resources have a significant impact on food security, on biodiversity, and on improved environment of climate. Although women are uh, managers of land and forest, they're often marginalized, however in forest and land tenure activities and governance. So the knowledge and opinions are not sufficiently used for forest governance. So it's important to create spaces for women where the voices can be heard and for being included in decision-making. Our experiences further that women's land and forest tenure rights are better respected and protected through collective land rights compared to individual land rights. I think you can see the picture from uh, the DRC now. 
So uh, it, we are very happy about that many of our partners at Tenure Facility, they have intensified their work on gender perspectives. And this picture is from our partner organization in DRC, as one example to show you. Um, where our uh, partner works with the establishment of local community forest concessions to indigenous peoples and local communities. So in their activities, such as participatory mapping, if you can see in this picture, uh, women's participation varies between different communities. In some provinces, women don't speak up in presence of men at all. In others, women's voices are heard to a great extent. So our partner finds it really important to be sensitive to the context and to depart from the existing situation to use the right vocabulary and approaches for succeeding, and to include men and women in the discussions and awareness raising on women's inclusion and rights, and also to get support from customary leaders on women's inclusion. It's important that the leadership provides support. In uh, September 2019, we at the Tenor facility had a joint seminar with Anne Larsson from C4 on the global research on community forestry and gender. And we are so happy now to see that the practitioner's guide are in place, is in place, and uh, uh, it's based on the very important research that you've done. Uh, there are many gender manuals, but this one is unique since it provides guidelines on forest tenure and gender equality. It recognizes that change needs to happen both from policy level and from community level. The guide recommends gender approaches from existing realities in communities at the same time as learning from success and failures uh, in order not to repeat mistakes from before. So through this guide, we will get insights into different methodologies and examples from different contexts on how to integrate gender approaches in community forestry. So as we all know, uh, the road to fully respecting women, women's rights in law and practice is long. But this practitioner's guide shows us the way forward. So congratulations to the authors. Nanya Yaveri and Larson and Iliana Montroso, and also the organizers for this event. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Eva, for your comments. And over to you, Elizabeth. Thank you very much. Um, thanks so much to Anne, Iliana, and Nina for inviting me to participate in this webinar and offer some reactions to the guide. I'm happy to be here as a member of the IFPRI team that's leading the methods module of the gender platform. And as many of you know, the gender platform is working to support research on gender across the CGR, and it's now entering its second year. It operates across three modules, evidence, methods, and alliances, that are all working together to develop and promote high quality evidence, knowledge, methods, tools, and partnerships around gender for more inclusive, equitable, and sustainable food systems. I think this practitioner's guide is a really important and useful piece of work that spans all the areas in which the gender platform works. 
it's it really translates the evidence that we have to date into a practical set of options for reforming forest tenure governance in ways that are more gender equitable. As researchers, one of the key challenges that we always have is how to get end users to adopt the findings and recommendations coming out of our research. And this is particularly difficult when we're dealing with issues involving a lot of complexity, nuance, and context specificity, as there is with both gender and forest governance issues. I think the guidance does an excellent job of first laying out these complexities and providing a conceptual framework for better understanding all of these issues and nuances. It then backs this up with a set of practical case studies, suggestions for interventions, good practices, and specific guidance tailored to different aspects and dimensions and arenas of forest tenure reform at multiple scales. Because different countries face different challenges and are at different starting points with respect to gender equality and forest tenure governance, the interventions and guidance tools are presented as options for different stakeholders to adopt, depending on the situation they're facing and their areas of influence. And I think this flexible approach, which offers a sort of playbook for different stakeholders, um, including researchers, policymakers, NGOs, local actors, and others, uh, will help them to adopt, use, and tailor the recommendations. And I also think the process outlined in the report of first analyzing, then strategizing, and finally realizing is really, really useful. I think it can be applied to many other research areas in order to better bridge the gap between evidence and practice. In fact, um, at IFPRI, we took a similar approach to guidance that we're developing for integrating gender, climate change, and nutrition into interventions that are targeting these areas. We also found that starting with a really comprehensive situation analysis is fundamental to identifying challenges, opportunities, and entry points for action. The situation analysis then provides the foundation for identifying and mapping out goals and strategies to achieve those goals. And then using tools such as a theory of change analysis or results chain analysis or some other type of tool can help identify the impact pathways and specific activities that interventions can adopt to address those challenges and take advantage of opportunities that have been identified by the situation analysis. One thing that I would emphasize, it's also mentioned in the report, but I would say we found it extremely helpful to um, engage an interdisciplinary team at the start um, and include a broad range of stakeholders, including in producing the situation analysis. Um, that way you have people with different backgrounds and areas of expertise working together to identify all of the challenges and opportunities. We also found that it was really helpful to work with key partners to apply the guidance and sort of pilot case studies um, to a specific problem or challenge or within a specific institutional setting. Um, doing these kinds of case studies where researchers work hand in hand with practitioners to apply the guidance and recommendations that we're producing, I think can be a real learning experience for both sides. It can also help, it can help the researchers further refine the guidance and it can also lead to a set of practical tools that can perhaps be adopted and applied by other researchers. And I think it helps the practitioners um, really think through how to take that guidance and make it um, apply to their particular setting. So as a member of the methods module team of the gender platform, I'd love to see this guidance put into action in this way 
and have it piloted in some case studies, and then to have those specific tools and methods that are developed shared with others, um, including through the Gender Platform Resource Hub, which is gonna be launching in May, where we'll really be trying to develop a place, a go-to place for researchers and other partners to come together to find resources that they need to improve their work. Another, one thing that really struck me from this report is that even in countries where there's been a lot of progress towards recognizing women's land rights, as in Liberia, this hasn't always transferred into recognizing women's rights with regard to forested lands. I think this guidance really does a great job of bringing this issue to the forefront, and I want to encourage everyone to read it and to put these lessons and insights into use. Thank you so much. I'll turn it back over to you, Eliana. Thank you, Elizabeth. And now it's time to open our Q&A uh, session. I would like to ask all the speakers to turn their cameras, their webcams on. Uh, and to the audience, please continue to submit your questions through the question box, and we will do our best to address them. Um, so I would like to start with a question uh, from Ashavir Wondimu. Thank you. And I would like to address this question to Ilva. Um, the question for Ashever indicates, what would be the practical problem if we don't address gender equality in forest tenure? From your experience, from the tenure facility experience working with land and forest tenure reform, what would you say could be the practical problems if we do not address um, gender equality in forest tenure? Thank you very much for the question. I think that there are many dimensions of problems that could arise. Partly there is a human rights uh, problem in it, not involving everyone in a community to have a say. There is also a risk that important information uh, is lost and that all different aspects of solutions are not taken into consideration. Um, it's quite a short answer, but I can develop it if you wish. So thank you, Ilda, for your, for your response. Um, I would like to address the second question um, to Naina. There is a, a question from Steve Lowry, and he's asking, your theory of change assumes that women are empowered due to a set of largely state actions, but don't outcomes depend ultimately upon what women do with the resources, including legal resources? Uh, provided by the state and that depends on their social capital? What would be um, your uh, response, um, Naina? Um, no, I mean, I wouldn't say that the report assumes that women are empowered. Um, rather, it's uh, well, maybe the opposite, which is that women really, just participation itself is not enough. The numbers gain in terms of first governance is not enough. And uh, rather, we have to look at how can we support uh, whether women, whether they're uh, representatives on the committee or women in the community using the forest resources, how can we support them uh, in terms of knowledge, in terms of access to credit, um, access to political channels, and so on. And uh, it's precisely the kind of, um, uh, what's the word, there's certain kinds of conventions of thinking that have um, tend to take over over the last many years, uh, which need to be kind of turned over. And um, the issue of actually how to achieve empowerment uh, needs to be thought through carefully. And so um, 
the report, I think, is trying to emphasize the importance of um, thinking very carefully exactly what's needed for different kinds of women and different social professions um, who are interested in moving the agenda forward, uh, possibly, right? But, um, you know, the, the other aspect of the report I would like to emphasize is that it's not simply the forest governance bodies which are important, but uh, household dynamics, um, broader community dynamics within which the forest governance bodies work. And so how can you carry out interventions at all these scales to ultimately support women of different ages um, and different kind of senses of leadership and capability uh, to take the agenda forward? I think um, the presumption is, I guess it's true, that the presumption is that women do would like to see change. You know, uh, which may be a little too presumptuous, right? Um, but I think that there are lots of women who are very interested in change. We see that, you know, in the context, for example, of DRC, uh, where women uh, that were consulted on gender equality came up with very interesting, innovative ideas about how to carry out change the questions, then how to kind of put it into action. So I don't know if that addresses your um, question, but I, I guess that's my take on it in terms of how the report situates things. Thank you, Naina. Um, and I would like uh, to address this question to Elizabeth. This question comes from Tessa Napitu-Pulu. Um, she's asking, can strategies be developed without experts? And who are the experts? And what do we mean by experts? I think you mentioned a bit about partnerships in your comments. Can you comment on that? Sure. I was referring to really integrating researchers and, and teams of researchers and practitioners together. I think really strengthening partnerships between research institutions and NGOs and other organizations um, is really helpful because I think both sides learn from each other. As researchers, we often you know, do our analyses and write journal articles and get them published, but the challenge is really then you know, how do we have impact on the ground with the results that we, in the evidence that we generate? And I think that's where, you know, working with partners who are doing work on the ground is really essential. And I think researchers have a lot to offer in strengthening those processes and in the practical sense and in providing tools that practitioners can use to develop their strategies and, and collect data as they do um, their work um, so that the changes can be monitored and tracked and researchers can work hand in hand throughout the, the project cycle. So I, I do think that taking this kind of guidance and, and piloting it in a few um, cases is would be really, really enormously helpful. And I think it, it helps um, really strengthen the sort of evidence to impact pathways that we're all striving to achieve. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, and I would like to, uh, I, uh, this question to be it, this is the, this question is for Naina um, and comes from Gina Alvarado from Landesa. Um, she could she's requesting if you could perhaps give us some examples of the difference in the applications of the guidance in the different geographies. Um, what worked in what place that did not work in another place? Mm, huge question. Thanks. Um, you know, I think that some of the questions that came up while writing the report were questions like, why is it that Nepal has um, moved forward on this agenda so much more than a larger, more developed country like India next door? And yet, really, you don't find very much uh, written about that in, in the literature. Or um, 
you know, I think these are the questions when you look at the global landscape, you can see only a few countries in which there's been um, some type of fairly successful attempt, whether it's a national level like Mexico or um, in terms of local community-based forestry such as in Nepal, there aren't that many places. And so um, it's drawing out from the various little experiences, so to speak, that we can put such a publication together and to see then uh, how really opening up the conceptual boxes perhaps can kind of mobilize change in a bigger way going forward. You know, um, you know, I've done a lot of work in Nepal, for example, and China and so on. And um, it's always on the sort of sidelines of meetings that people discuss, you know, why Nepal is so much more ahead than India. Um, but in terms of research, you know, there's very little. You can hardly find anything uh, about what the reasons are. Um, so I think in terms of the geography question, uh, what we've really done is to provide these Paraphrase um, Forest Tenure Insight Boxes that focus on particular countries and even localities within countries to uh, draw out not only how change took place, but how local CSOs, NGOs, and so on have suggested recommendations for going forward. Most of the boxes actually have a list of recommendations um, provided by the NGOs active in the area. So that then becomes kind of a source of inspiration for your own approach. But there's really actually, you know, um, Hardly enough analysis. I mean, I think Anne and Ileana recently have done some, you know, wonderful comparative work. But even in a country like Uganda, where you have a fairly positive enabling framework, you have at the local level um, some regions where there's a lot of progressive change in gender equality, and other regions where there's not very much. And yet the analysis, you know, of why that is is not. It's sort of like now the next level, let's say, uh, of work. So um, in short, you know, um, we're doing our best in terms of geographies. Um, there's not enough to do really a kind of solid um, take. Um, and maybe I think the work people are doing at the moment will kind of flesh that out you know, as it moves forward. Thank you, Naina. Um, and I would like to uh, address this question to Elizabeth. This question is coming from Asil Onderland, World Bank. Um, Thanks for the very interesting presentation. Analyze, strategize, and realize are very important elements for advancing gender equality. Um, does uh, your guide uh, look in, uh, to measure? And um, with his arguing that they find a lack of disaggregated data is often a constraint, which can affect all the three other elements. Um, can you say a few words on practical measuring tools? And since you are involved with the methods model, Elizabeth, I thought you could. Uh, share some examples of tools that sure um, yeah so I would say obviously the the lack of gender disaggregated data can hinder doing a, a more in-depth situation analysis which is really important for that initial step in the process that was very clearly and nicely laid out in the guide um, and but but there the evidence is growing so i think you know we have tools like the women's empowerment and agriculture index and i was um, very glad to see that this has now been sort of adapted um, to forestry issues with the eight indicators that were presented in the guide um, i think that those kinds of tools when applied in different contexts are really helping us to um, build up evidence so that we can really do more in-depth situation analyses and these can be complemented in, in places where you know, the evidence is weaker. 
Um, you know, a lot of times these analyses can be done in a qualitative way, using focus groups with farmers, engaging stakeholders in a very, um, you know, in-depth way um, to um, fill in the gaps where there are evidence gaps. And so, again, this is where I think having researchers work hand in hand with practitioners to identify those gaps um, at this initial stage of analyzing the situation. Um, can be very helpful because then they can work together to identify ways to fill those gaps and and come up with strategies and interventions that are grounded in in evidence and in the data that we have. But I do think the situation is improving. I can't speak to the forestry sector as much in terms of the amount of data that are available, um, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll turn that over to Nina for some input on that in terms of what data can be used uh, for the analysis stage in the situation analysis. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Naina, would you like to uh, add to what Elizabeth just shared? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, in the sort of, what uh, for it, um, trying to kind of find countries which do collect gender disaggregated data on forestry in general, not only on tenure, um, it wasn't very easy, but, you know, it's very interesting to see the most recent state of forest, I forget what it's called, the SOFO comes out of FAO. Um, there was a lot of data in there on women forestry professionals um, that is gender disaggregated and by different uh, technical levels, so that entry level and then up to PhD was disaggregated in that sense. And it was very interesting to see the changes. I was really surprised, you know, some random data came across and I was like, how wonderful, you know. Can we use this and sort of build upon it? Because we see the countries, I mean, one of the his current his forest tenure insight is on Guyana. Oh no, sorry, it's not a box, it's a, just a kind of factoid in there. Um, but it's on Guyana and how women have become um, you know, major participants in the forestry sector and particularly in Red Plus MRV work. Um, and really partly to do with forestry training, but partly to do with the fact that many men are migrating out. And so women are moving up the chain and, and taking up these positions increasingly to the point where, um, you know, all women teams are not uncommon anymore in these sort of countries. So, um, but, you know, these are just little vignettes um, that I managed to come across, uh, but something more systematic and a look at which countries really are taking this on in a bigger way would be a wonderful thing to do, but in this report, we don't do it. Thank you, Naina, and thank you everyone for all of your questions. We're fast approaching to the end of this webinar, so this will be the last question, and I would like uh, Anne to, um, to, to address this. Uh, this is coming from Raymond Achu Samyong, and um, he says, the concept of participation and representation of women is often, often confusing in communities. We often see many women are claimed to participate, but not but not change. And in some cases, just one woman represent women, then we see some changes. So drawing from the extensive work that you're also doing on, on, on multi-stakeholder farms, um, how uh, uh, Raymond is asking, how can development practitioners best operationalize these two concepts in relation to gender equality? What would be um, your suggestion on this? Sorry, the two concepts were participation and and representation and representation wow okay um that's a hard one i mean i think this is something that um maybe nana could comment on as well uh, having done some of this on the uh for the manual 
obviously, I mean, one of the uh, points about participation, of course, participation is an incredibly vague word, right? For, I, we're all participating in this webinar. There are 72 people participating in this webinar, but obviously only a few of us are speaking. So participation goes from, you know, from uh, simply being present to actually having a, re a real voice at the table, decision-making authority, and so on. Um, and I think, uh, you know, participation and representation are also two quite different things. And it's just as with, you know, we look at a lot of these um, international organizations where there's representation of indigenous groups now, but there's also representation of local communities, but who represents local communities? And I think that the issue is similar with women. Who represents women? Obviously, um, mm -hmm. you know, from an intersectional approach, there's many, many kinds of women, many uh, women who don't represent women's interest, and we can't even really speak of a women's interest. So um, we have a long way to go in terms of how to how to make that operational. I think in terms of um, you know, in specific cases, I, I think the most important thing is to understand the local dynamics, understand how women are currently participating or not, what the challenges are, what they're up against. Is there a representative women's organization in the particular place you are working? And of course, there, this varies from level to level, right? This local to the national. Um, so it's a very complex question, which I don't think I can really give a great answer to in a in a two minute summary reply. But I'm happy to continue talking with you about it, Raymond. Thanks. Thank you, Anne. Um, well, thank you for thank you everybody for joining the virtual launch of the Forest Tenure Pathways to Gender Equality a Practitioner's Guide. Um, thank you, Elizabeth and Ilva, for joining for the discussion. Uh, now we would like to invite all of the participants to check the website um, where you will be able to review the different sections and download them. Um, Naina shared the, the, um, the links um, in, her, in her last uh, slide. We hope, oh, and there it goes again. Um, we hope the guide will contribute to the going efforts that, are, that will lead to gender equality in forest governance. And um, we wish you all have a, a good day wherever you are connecting from. Thank you for joining us.